Well, I don't know about you, but, uh, but Hebrews really is one of my most favorite books in all of the Bible. Uh, it, I don't know how much it speaks to you, but it speaks to me in ways that some, perhaps some of the other books in the Bible don't necessarily do that. There's a depth here. There's a spiritual depth that you just don't always find in uh, some of the other books of the Bible and in, but in describing this relationship that we have with our Lord Jesus Christ and the relationships that we have with one another as a result of that fundamental and central relationship, that life-changing relationship. So I hope if nothing else has happened over the last six months or ever how long is a year I don't know how long it's been since we started Hebrews but I hope it at least whetted your appetite for it that you will go back to it and read it and study it so verses 7 through 24 Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, considering the outcome of their way of life and imitate uh, their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as though as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with you all. 
You know, sometimes I go back and I start reading through these passages and there are so many golden nuggets in every one of these verses that I don't know how much this sermon is actually going to do justice to what we just read. Uh, but anyway, we're going to give it a shot. Now what we have here in this particular chapter is a list, a relatively long list, a last-minute list of admonitions to those people to whom he is writing. Words of encouragement, instructions about what to do, instructions about what not to do. He's wrapping things up. bringing it together in a sense all of the things he's been teaching through this book and kind of a summary statement here at the end of it. We talked last week about how, many, how, how there's so many imperatives, in other words, commands that are given to us by the Lord through this particular book that the book is just filled up with them and you find this, this last part of this chapter to be the same way. Admonitions to be active. Sometimes I don't think we think about, uh, it's hard for us sometimes to put ourselves in the shoes of people that went before us. When I think about this book, what I'm thinking about is this, is this book was probably originally written on parchment, on a single animal skin. Okay, specially treated to be written on. But something we don't think about is this, is very often they were pressed to write what they wrote on that particular parchment. They were limited in space is what I'm saying. So what we're seeing here is, is things being emphasized here. And, and maybe we can envision the author of this book sitting there trying to write everything that needs to be written in to the little space he has left. The very earliest known copy of Hebrews that we have is the Leningrad Codex. And it's written on white parchment. It's written on animal skin. It dates around 1000 A.D., so halfway between us and the author of Hebrews. But like we've seen over and over again, this chapter in Hebrews includes admonition after admonition after admonition. Do, 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 do. Encouraging particular things of importance to take place on the part of the recipients. Now I'm not getting hit on all of them, but one of them is in, one of the most important ones is in 13:7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. Imitate their faith. 
I don't know the circumstances uh, of, of coming to faith for most of the people in this room, not in, maybe in a general sense, but not in detail. But we all have a testimony. Every one of us. How in the world did God lead me to the point that I professed faith in Jesus Christ and repented of my sins? For most people, I would imagine it involves two things. One of those is the word of God comes into the picture, but it also has to do with the testimony of a witness, of a believer who was trying to share their faith with them. But the thing about it is, is there are occasions where people come to faith by just simply picking up the Bible and reading it. I know of people that will tell you that. That's how they came to faith. Just reading the Bible. But we understand that it requires more than just a person sitting down and reading. It also requires interaction with an enlightenment by the Holy Spirit. That when we read scripture, the thing that makes it different for us is the Holy Spirit is there. Speaking to us in ways that words written on a page just can't. Speaking to our inward self. Bringing us to a point of understanding things in a way that we would not apart from his presence. The Holy Spirit enlightening us. Think about the Ethiopian eunuch all the way back uh, in Acts chapter 8 that we did just a few years ago when we were going through the book of Acts. Reading the prophet Isaiah, and along comes the apostle Philip. But what is he reading? He's reading Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as, and as lamb before its shearers is silent so he does not open his mouth. Can you think of a better messianic passage to be reading than that one? <laughs> We're supposed to think that this just happened? That it just, just, you know, it just happened that Philip came along and when this guy just happened to be reading that. But I see when I look at it is the orchestration of God to bring all of this stuff together exactly as it needs to, exactly as he's intended for it to. And what a passage. And the eunuch said to Philip, please tell me of whom does the prophet say this? What a door opening. What an opportunity. I know that most of you, or I've heard the testimony, I think probably of just about everybody in this room at one time or another, and... One of the things that you'll find is this, is the word of God comes into the picture somewhere, but very often other people come into the picture too. 
people that took a special interest in you, people that thought enough of you to tell you what they knew, to witness to you, to testify to you. There are times when God uses nothing but the Bible itself to bring people to faith. Someone sits down, they read the Bible, they come to faith, but that's not generally the way it happens. That's part of it. That it almost always involves interaction with those who are already believing. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. That's a bold statement to be made in a universe that is in constant flux, changing, always. The earth is aging and therefore it's changing. Our bodies are changing as we grow older. Something we don't have any control over. We are about to celebrate the biggest, most important event in all of history. When God took upon himself humanity. There is nothing like it. He is our anchor. He is the one that we can absolutely and completely and totally rely and depend on. He will never let us down. Ever. And isn't it nice that even though the universe is changing, the God who created it is not at all? That makes him the one and only solid foundation that we can absolutely and completely depend upon. We never have to worry about our Lord changing. He's never going to change his mind about you. Ever. He's never going to change the rules in midstream. And knowing those sorts of things is the only basis for you and I to have assurance of our salvation. absolute assurance because God is many things but he is immutable he doesn't change it would be awful to try to serve a God who was changing all the time now wouldn't it because every time a change came then the rules would change There is no need for God to change because God is absolutely perfect in every way already. Change, there's, there's no place for change in him. He cannot be improved upon at all, ever, not one iota. 
He's absolutely perfect in every way. And therefore, even though change is part of our lives, it has nothing to do with him. Malachi says this, for I, the Lord, do not change. James says in 117 says this, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. That is the only reason that you and I can have absolute assurance of our salvation. He warns these people he's writing to, and it's not surprising that he does this near the end of the letter. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teaching. Now, let me tell you something. We live out there, we live in a world today that's got all kinds of varied and strange teaching. It's all over the place. You don't have to look anywhere to find it. But it's the way the world has always been. There's strange teachings around us all over the place. And sometimes those strange teachings even go by the name of Christianity. There's, there's really some weird stuff that people entered into the picture. We have to be careful. We have to make sure that everything that we believe and practice is anchored in the Bible. If it's not, we need to be done with it. We need to reject it. We need to avoid it. We need to encourage everyone else to avoid it. Ever since a man has been around, he's been exposed to strange teachings. Started in the Garden of Eden. As soon as man came into the picture, it's continued ever since. Every now and then you'll hear people say, well, Christianity is just another religion. And some people might say, my personal opinion, you're just kind of arrogant to believe that your religion just happens to be the right one. And all these other people are wrong. What gives you the right to think you're right and other people are not right? So how do you speak to that? Well, it's because people very often, they think Christianity is just like all other religions. But the fact of the matter is, it's not. It's unique in all kinds of ways. And knowing that uniqueness gives you a starting point. Don't you ever let anybody tell you that Christianity is just another religion. Because it's not. It's not like any other religion.
We know what the altar was for. In the tabernacle and then in the temple. It was the place of sacrifice. And we know that the altar for us was the cross. The place of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We understand that from the Old Testament, we've studied this in Hebrews, and that is that it, you, you, you could sacrifice every animal that's ever lived on the planet. It would not atone for one single person's sins. That every bit of that, that whole practice that took place there was pointing to the true sacrifice who was to come. The human Jesus Christ. Remember back in Hebrews in verse uh, 4 of chapter 10, for it's impossible for the blood of, of bulls and goats to take away sins. It requires a human being to atone for a human being. We understand that all the sacrifices that in the Old Testament Israel made, they were just prefigurings of the true sacrifice to come. They didn't actually atone for anybody's sin. They all pointed to Jesus. Just think about our, our brothers and sisters early on in the church who were Jews, who were persecuted by other Jews and forced out of the community. Outside the camp. But we, see some, we seek something far greater than most people do. Do not neglect to do good. Share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I mean, so how do we demonstrate our faith? Well, we demonstrate our faith in what we do and what we don't do. But one of the things that we're challenged with over and over again is to share what we have with other people. means giving up something that is yours for the benefit of someone else. And we know that in the, in the early church, in the early New Testament church, sharing was something that was really encouraged. People did it. If, they, if someone in the church had a need and there was someone else in the church who had the ability to take care of it, they did it. Do not neglect to do good. Share what you have. The 
If something that really helps us when we struggle with that sort of thing is to remember one fundamental thing, and that is this, and it's actually all God's to start with. You know, we talk about my this and my that and his and her, this, that, or the other, and you know, whatever, but reality is it's all God's. Every bit, everything, the clothes on your back are not your clothes, they're God's clothes he left that you use. You're sitting in God's chair. You're inside God's building. He's letting you use his air conditioning. Funny. But even secular people will tell you that there is something that you get out of sharing that you don't get from anywhere else. Like joy. Psychology Today, a strictly secular periodical. The bottom line, sharing our joy increases joy. Albert Schweitzer. Happiness is the only thing that multiplies when you share it. Happiness being part of joy. So what I'm telling you is it's not just strictly a religious thing that's obvious to religious people like us, to Christians, but it's obvious to humanists. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. You wonder sometimes how many of our leaders understand that one of these days they're going to give an accounting to God for what they've done serving in the office that they've held. Have they used it for the benefit of the people they represent? Have they used it for their own benefit to, to increase their wealth and their value and that sort of thing? The truth of the matter is, it's one of the deepest things in, in our heart is this, is none of us likes for anybody else to tell us what to do, now do we? See, that's a measure of our sin. That God has appointed leaders over all of us, and we're supposed to submit to them. And we know this, that those who have done us wrongly, they will give an account to God ultimately for it. And we understand that this is particularly said in respect to our religious leaders. At the same time, obedience and submission do not come naturally to us because it's contrary to our sinful nature. We all have a problem obeying and submitting. Sometimes even to the Lord himself. So who do we look to? Well, we look to Jesus like we always do because Jesus submitted to those who supposedly were in authority over him.
Immediately before he was arrested, he said this to Peter, Do you think I cannot appeal to my father and he, he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus, my friends, is the very picture of what real, true submission is. We all have to submit at times. But the submission spoken of here isn't particularly related to church leadership. For those who keep watch over our souls. We are all accountable in different ways and in different measures. There's a sense in which I'm accountable to every person in this room. There's a sense in which I'm accountable to you that you're not accountable to me. We all have aspects of that to our own picture. Every one of us. Obedience and submission started the moment we took our first breath. And it will be part of our lives as long as we live even into eternity not going to stop when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom we are called to be active in our faith Jesus said to the Apostle Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, some of you know what a goad is. Some, some maybe not, but it's a sharp-pointed stick that they used to prod cows or donkeys or whatever with to get them to do what they wanted them to do. The picture being painted here is there's times when God is prodding us. God prods us all to move forward in our sanctification. To grow in holiness. Jesus will not allow us to stagnate indefinitely. In other words, we're not going to sit in the same spot. We're going to progress. If he has to poke us to make it happen. We are all in the growth stage of our faith. 
growing deeper, it's growing wider, it's growing more toward all consumption. When God prods us, the best thing we can do is get the hint. <laughs> I mean, you've probably had experiences like this. You know, you're having a conversation with someone. Maybe they're not a believer, and maybe there's a kind of a door open that maybe you could sneak something in there, and, and, and you think about it, but you don't do it. One of the things I love about Hebrews is the great benediction that follows at the very end of it. Webster defines uh, benediction as the invocation of a blessing or prayer, especially at the close of a public worship service. I, I do a benediction every time we worship. And very often when I read that benediction, which comes right out of Scripture, it's the one from Hebrews here. I don't know if you made that connection or not as you were reading through there. There are others in the Bible. The ironic benediction from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. That should remind you of something too. And that is another one that I use frequently when we do the Lord's Supper. Right from Scripture. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. Give me a break briefly? Have you seen the book of Hebrews? <laughs> Has anyone in this room ever written a letter that's anywhere close to his 13 chapters of Hebrews? He's written briefly. Give me a break. That what, I, what it tells us is this, as much as he said, as deep as he's gone, there's more. He's only touched on a fraction of what there is. Letter writing is becoming a lost art. And now it's all about emails and text messages and that sort of thing. And there certainly is a little big advantage to it. Uh, that is, it doesn't take you near as much time to write. But the thing I want to emphasize is it's important to have communication. It doesn't matter what form it comes in. There has to be communication. 
We have all these books in the New Testament written for a number of different reasons. One of those is very obvious in the book of Hebrews, and that was to correct false teaching, to correct false doctrine that was being propagated through the church. It's also to teach and establish sound, true doctrine, which is a lot of what the book of Hebrews has to do with. But it also serves the purpose of encouraging us. Communication is absolutely critical for Christians. And it takes place in a number of different ways. But, but we have this advantage of being able to communicate with each other so easily, so freely, any time of the day which people in the past didn't have. There's no telling how long it was between the time the author of this book wrote it and it actually got to where it was supposed to go. We can talk to just about anybody like that. It's important for us to communicate with other believers. We need it. They need it. On one of my trips to Uganda, I was talking with one of the missionary couples, and I can't remember who it was specifically at this point. But one of the things you'll find is this. Is, you know, here in the United States, you don't see Presbyterians hanging around with Baptists much and this, that, and the other. But let me tell you, you go to a place like Uganda, those things just kind of fall by the wayside. <laughs> the Christians stick together. But they miss home. They miss what they have here. They miss the lifestyle that they had here. But most of all, they miss the people they have here. For many people today, and Christians alike, letter writing has become a lost art. That we have other ways of communicating. And I want you to understand something, that as you and I are celebrating Christmas this year, a lot of our brothers and sisters who are missionaries are feeling very lonely and left out. You want to do something extra special, different? Send a Christmas card with a note to the herbs 
no to the Cobbs, no to the Swansons. It'll probably mean far more to them than anything you're going to do for anybody else here. Are you sharing with each other? The people we primary and mostly need to communicate with are the other people in this room. Are we sharing with each other the struggles that we are going through? Or do we just not want to bother anybody? Do we have the, do we have the freedom to do that? Do you feel okay doing that? Being honest with people about your struggles. Reality is this. There's a sense in which you are my primary line of defense and I'm yours. We're in this together. I hope there's no one in here that feels like they're isolated from the rest of the body. If there is, then shame on us. Shame on us. Because we need to be able to share with one another and we need for other people to share with us. Communication. It's important. For all kinds of reasons. Okay, well enough said. I could keep going on and on and on and on and on. Uh, but if nothing else, I hope this has whetted your appetite for the book of Hebrews. Don't let another year come and go without ever reading it and studying it. Amen.